High performance. What is it and what are the five anchoring pillars to high performance? Stay tuned and find out. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up? What is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of high-performance learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you? Well, that, my friend, is infinitely more important. You are a driven entrepreneur or one in the making. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal or business results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves today to be right? Oh gosh, my tongue is tripping over my eye teeth again. All right, another big episode today. Today, Mike Shizniak shares his amazing story, talks about how the stigmas of belief serve you until they don't, and then he lets you in on his five pillars of high performance. Plus, I'm going to let you in a little sneak peek on next week's interview episode guest who has built his own marketing and full print production center at and so much more. Before we get into today's episode, though, I want to share with you a slight change we're going to be doing in the daily podcast format. Now, I'm going to keep bringing you the daily content, but instead of publishing Tuesday through Friday into the podcast feed, I'm going to shift two of those days, specifically Tuesday and Thursday, into the Facebook group. I want to build the interaction between you and I. I want to hear your voice so I can learn from you, your issues, so I can research for you and with you, your wins, so I can celebrate with you, your losses, so I can help you stand up and dust yourself off, your pains, so I can help find and share solutions with you. Standing here, you know, behind the mic is really, I guess, my way of putting out the content I hope you will find valuable. But I'm hoping that by shifting a couple of, a uh, couple of days a week into the Facebook group, we can get one step closer to digging in and really finding that spot where I can help you make a difference, help you realize how big a win you just had. Because sometimes I think those small wins are really huge or perhaps just help you get up from a stumble, a bumble, a fall, a face plant, uh, so that you, well, because, you know, we all have them as we go through our entrepreneurial journey so that you can get up, you know, again, dust yourself off and move on. So again, Monday's still going to be coming at you with these amazing guests, their stories, their tips, and their insights. Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to shift into the Facebook group and have some two-way dialogue. Uh, hopefully, they'll be live. And then Wednesday and fr- uh, Friday, back here onto the podcast. So if you're not already a part of the Dark Horse Facebook uh, group, come on in there. The link will be down in the show notes, or you can go to your favorite web browser, type in darkhorseschooling.com backslash darkhorsetribe, all one word, and that will take you straight there. And let's show everyone just how powerful we can all be when we come together to truly help 
each other and learn from each other. All right, as per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal business and marketing, G-O-L-D, spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, today's guest is Mike Shizniak. You know, and I didn't even ask him if that's the right way to pronounce his name. Hopefully, I didn't butcher it up too much. Now, Mike is an entrepreneur, consultant, and a coach certified through the High Performance Institute. He's the president and head coach at the Results Engine, where he helps D2D sales professionals scale their production and increase commissions by a minimum of 30% in 60 days or less. He's also the host of the top-rated podcast, The Results Engine Podcast, and he just got back from the D2D con where he was a speaker. Mike, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Tracy, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely, man. It's uh, I, I've been looking forward to this, and you've got a cool story, and I actually just want to take a minute and sit back from the mic and let you share as much or as little of that that road, the rocky parts, the rough tumble parts, and uh, you know, and then we're going to lead into why you love doing what you do so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll give the spark notes, and then anything that you want to dive into that you think would be valuable for your people, let's roll. Sure. Uh, right. Like you know, I'm in a pretty open book, so right. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, you know, I'm CEO and president, and head coach, wearing all the hats, right? Of, of a company called the Results Engine. We're a high performance coaching consulting company. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, we help door to door sales pros make more money, right? Not from a sales strategy or coaching or you know closing tactics type of perspective, but purely from high performance, right? How do we show up more powerfully as humans? How do we manage our time better? How do we get our energy up or down, right? It goes both ways. Uh, How do we do all of these things that we can show up, close more deals, make more money and help more people? And, um, you know, we, I I wasn't always in that space that this company actually started as as a side hustle. I, I used software engineering as a vehicle to fund all of my business ventures, Right. If we actually, if we zoom out a little bit and go back a little bit further, my whole life revolved around where I could play soccer in college. And, you know, I remember one conversation with my guidance counselor was like, cool. Well, there, we, basically the flow is we would uh, bring a, a list of coaches from a recruiting event, right? A college showcase. I would bring it to the guidance counselor. He would pull up my transcript and be like, cool. These are the, the coaches that you should be reaching out to saying like, Hey, come watch me play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of how that process worked. And I very much grew up in a family that was like, Hey, by all means go play soccer in college, but use it to get a better education. Like I'm not going to go D one just for the sake of going D one and get a, a trash education and just an expensive piece of paper. Right. Sure. So, um, one conversation ended up being like, hey, you're good at math and sciences. Why don't you look at engineering? I said, cool. Do they make a lot of money? Because back then, all I cared about was making a lot of money, retiring young and open a Pitbull Rescue Foundation. That's all I wanted to do as a kid. Um, they said, yes, dumb lucked my way into an engineering degree. Uh, four years later, they hadn't scared me away. So I had a computer engineering degree, went down to Wall Street and started writing code for a living. And what I did, Tracy, is I took all that money and I basically pumped it into myself, my business ventures, and my own personal and professional development. So that was the vehicle that funded everything. But that that climb in corporate was super, super linear. Every year was a big pay raise, big promotion. Like I had all the vanity things that I wanted, mm-hmm. all the ego-driven stuff that I thought I wanted as a young kid. You know, I had the six-figure salary, the senior title, the luxury apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan had all those things like by the age of like 24, 25. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing really well, but 
on the outside, like that's what it looked like on the inside. As we know these stories so well, it's, it's not what it was like, you know? And um, for me, that looked like anxiety and debilitating panic attacks and figuring Mm -hmm. out really what that meant at a, a young age. I didn't know anyone who had ever been through it. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, in fact, when I first endured it, I remember January 1st, 2014 was the first day I ever had a full-blown panic attack. And I remember I, I thought my lungs legitimately didn't work. Like I thought it was a physiological issue. Mm. Um, and it went through a year and a half of like going to the doctors, getting my chest x-ray, doing br- breathing tests. Like I, again, I thought it was physiological right. and it took me a year and a half to figure out and reverse engineer like what was going on. You know, like why I was enduring what I was enduring, what was actually happening. I'm grateful that I figured it out because I, if I found out through the doctors, they probably would have pushed a bunch of prescriptions on me. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't need that. <laughs> it, <laughs> or or it want a, it for that matter, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't want it. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, that was a year and a half. And in a weird way, it opened me up to the world that, that I'm in now because what I realized in that moment is I had zero clue what it meant to be productive. Like no idea mm-hmm. because every single one of the attacks happened in a moment where I felt guilty for not working. Right. And yeah. if I were able to show up more powerfully when I was working, I might not be, I might've been able to avoid well, what I was going through. And that was kind of the catalyst to going and geeking out on productivity, going down the rabbit holes. And it's just a fraction of the work that we do now with our clients. But that was like, I, I joked that that was like my gateway drug into high performance was just really having no clue what it meant to be productive. So, you know. So just make sure I, I'm hearing this right. You're 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 going through these. Uh, I use your phrase here: the debilitating panic attacks, because of your own guilt for wanting to work hard. Yeah. So you know, a common example that I always use is like, say, it's a buddy's birthday on a Friday night. You go out, you have a couple of drinks with your friends. I was a young single dude making more money than I probably should have been in New York city. Right. Right. And, and then I would emotionally and mentally beat the shit out of myself on a sun, Saturday morning because mm. I didn't feel a hundred percent. Right. I, and I'm like, I should be working, which realistically we know these thoughts are BS. We know that like, right. could I work? Yeah, of course. Like, should I, I don't know. It might be nice, but like, I don't need to beat myself up over not doing it. Right. Like right. I had no grace with myself. And, um, I also just, again, I didn't know what it meant to be productive. So I wasn't working as effectively as I could. Right. Mm. I thought, I thought it was like being busy or checking things off a to-do list. Right. I didn't realize that doing things doesn't matter if the things you're doing don't matter. Yeah. Right. And, right. If the, th- uh, if, the, the, if the checklist is bullshit, then what's up? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that kind of opened up the the world to this high performance world many mm-hmm. years before I actually dove into it. I had my own stigmas around the coaching industry and um, those held me back for probably about three years from entering the space, even though a lot of really close people in my life were kind of pushing me into it. They're like, yo, you could help a lot of people. Uh, I, I resisted it just because of stigmas I had, but that was what started it. It's kind nice. of nice. Nice. So now when you, when you had this realization about this is because you, you said you, you, you kind of found it out yourself. Were you still mm-hmm. in the mid twenties range at that point or was it a little later? Yeah, no, no. I, I, that was like probably, it was a year and a half in. So I want to say the first attack I had was, I was 23. Yeah. So goodness. I was like early to mid twenties. 
And did you now? I know you said it was all about this guilt for non-working. I mean, did you ever like look back to see where that that guilt was from? Was it from just your the way you were brought up to say, "Hey, you got you got to be grinding away," or, or what may have motivated it? I was just a, maybe people can relate. Like I'm a dude with extremely high standards and very high expectations sure. for myself. Sure. Um, and that serves me very well until it doesn't. <laughs> and I was, it was the first moment where I like kind of found out in like a very drastic way how it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think we've, we, we noticed that a couple times throughout our lives and um, wherever it might be, where we just realized that that intensity, that aggressive nature, like it, it might not serve us in the current season. And that was very much a, a large, large manifestation of that in my life. Gotcha. Um, yours, yeah. yours flipped to physical manifestations rather, rather than just wearing yourself out or, or whatever. I know if I think back there uh, um, and, and I shared some of the story with you and when, when I was talking to you on your show that uh, in my climb in corporate America, when I'm after my daughter had passed away, I threw myself into work and, and into personal development simultaneously. And I, you know, to figure out how to keep myself from going the wrong way, so to speak. But yeah. uh, at the same time, I literally started to disconnect from my, the very family I was trying to be there for. And there, there was probably about, oh, about a year and a half of that. And, uh, you know, there was this one moment where there was this intervention in the, in my, the ladies in my life, my daughters, uh, you know, I come home from work and they're like, sit down, we need to chat. And, you know, we're talking, they weren't even teenagers yet. And so they had the mind saying, dude, we, we love what you're doing at work and what it affords us. But we would like to spend time with dad too. I was like, Oh, yeah. okay. And I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing this. I was pushing myself because that, that standard and what have you, but uh, yeah, I had to have an intervention for me to have that realization. Yeah. So high performance coaching is kind of your, your, your results of uh, pulling yourself out and, and start going on. So you, you gave us a, a, a bit of a, an explanation of it. Kind of dig it down into tell, tell me about high performance coaching. It's and, and, and go a little, uh, go a little deeper there. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say high performance, the way that we define that is just succeeding beyond standard norms consistently over the long term while maintaining positive well-being and positive relationships. Right. So Tracy, every single one of our clients comes to us because they want to make more money and help more people. And right. Uh, and we do that. Right. But that's not where the transformation happens. And this really blew me away when I first started. I'm like, why don't like how, how is the transformation not in the money stuff? Right. Because I was defining value financially. Sure. Right. I'm like, these guys need to get a positive ROI on this program. Mm-hmm. Right. Which majority of them did. Right. Again, it's personal development, one, no income claims, and two, like it works if you work in many cases. <laughs> right. You always have people who don't work. Sure. But at the end of the day, that's not where the transformation was happening. It was in what I would call the life stuff, mm-hmm. right? Which is prioritizing date night with your yeah. significant other. Or, you know, if you work from home, taking 30 minutes to go eat outside on your balcony instead of like shoving food down your throat while you're keyboard thrashing right. all day right? Like little tweaks like this that actually facilitate long-term growth and just exponential trajectory. And, um, you know, because 
let's be real. Everyone listening to this, we all know that person who might be at the peak of financial success in our eyes, but behind closed doors, their health's deteriorating mm-hmm. or, you know, their relationships are falling yeah. You know, and that's not high performance. High performance is creating this well-oiled machine that's, again, succeeding beyond standard norms consistently over the long term. But this last piece is key while maintaining positive well-being and positive relationships, right? So we break that down into a number of pillars that we work with. Uh, clarity, which is the cornerstone habit. I compare it to a rising tide. When you have clarity, everything rises. Mm-hmm. But when you don't, everything kind of falls back a bit. Right. So clarity is number one, then energy, courage, productivity, and influence. Obviously, productivity is like my baby when it comes to this space. But uh, those are the main pillars that we're working with people through. And um, that's really what the tools that we're leveraging to skyrocket deal counts, right? For our sales guys and and, uh, really like scale the impact. I just love surrounding myself with people that are mission driven. So we're very selective with who we let into our community and who we serve through our programs because. Like not, not to talk down on nice things. Like I want nice things. I want nice cars. I want fat watches on my wrist. I want to live in a beautiful (laughs) home, but like, that's not what it's always about. So we're just, we're not just interested in helping, you know, the, the sales guy get another Lambo, right? What's the money going to like, why, why are we trying to impact? Like what, who are we trying to impact through the the growth? Mm -hmm. But those pillars are how we're doing it. Now, obviously, I know all five of those are good. There's five, right? All five of those are probably equally important. But if you yeah. if you had one where people start getting that aha moment, you know, yeah. they're going through clarity, and I, that's the first step I take any of my folks through is that 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 clarity. You got to understand what's up. But is there is there one where you start seeing a lot of your clients going? Ah, they start making that first turn of realization, going, "Oh my God, it's starting to make sense." Yeah. I mean, clarity is it, right? It's the cornerstone habit, but clarity is really like tightly woven into every single one of the pillars, right? When we're talking clarity, it's literally just asking better questions. Mm -hmm. Tony Robbins says it, says it best. Quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. So if we can ask better questions, we'll get better answers. Those answers lead to essentially what we create our reality with, Mm right? Right. Those answers lead to the decisions we make, which leads to the actions we take and the actions we take sculpt our reality. So it would, I'd be remiss to not talk about clarity there. Um, But what I would say is I think that three are the most like immediate impact. One is obviously clarity, like we talked about, right? The other two are energy and productivity. Energy is one that really blew me away when I entered this space, mainly because I also didn't understand it very much like productivity. Mm -hmm. You know, I came from two worlds that were very heavily stimulant driven. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Number one was software engineering. The running joke was like engineers turn coffee into code. (laughs) The language I worked in was literally called Java. So like take that for what it's worth. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And then number two was the fitness industry, right? Like fitness has been a massive piece of my life ever since I was trying to get recruited for soccer. You know, and and it's been persistent throughout. I've been a competitive powerlifter for a couple of years since nice. retired. Had to transition out. Hopefully, I'll go back to it. Had to focus on the business. So I, I moved away from that sport, but like, it's always been there. And it's like, okay, well, you know, three p.m. in in the rather before I switch gears, 
in the fitness realm, it's like, cool, got to choke pre-workout, right? 5 a.m. squat session, got to go get pre-workout. Or in the engineering world, 3 p.m. slump is hitting in, like lunch is hitting, the itis is hitting. Got a lot of code to write. Like you got to hit Starbucks, right? It was very dependent externally. Mm -hmm. And what I learned as I was getting certified and working with Brendan Burchard and his team is your body is actually like a power plant, right? Like you don't need to de- like rely externally on these things. We can actually generate and transmit and trend, uh, excuse me, generate and convert energy mm-hmm. on our own through simply leveraging our breathing practices. So if people want to YouTube, like release tension, set intention is a really powerful practice to kind of cool energy back down a little bit. Right. Uh, or you could look up breath scaling. It's another powerful practice to ramp your energy back up. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say I don't use pre-workout or don't use Starbucks anymore or drink mm-hmm. coffee or espresso. Like I love those things too, but right. they're tools. They're not things that we're relying upon. Right. Right. So that would be one. And then on the productivity side of things, basically the flow is we have to get the clarity, right? What do we want and what it's going to take to get there? Then we need to figure out how to generate the energy to get there, i.e. the practices we just talked about. Sure. Finally, once we've dialed those two things in, then we can go to productivity, right? How do we maximize our calendar? How do we maximize our efforts right there? And that's when we can start to use things like there's a great book called Eat the Frog by Brian Tracy. Love that Um, book. Phenomenal book. And literally every chapter is a new action item that you can use. Many of them accomplish similar things. Mm -hmm. So it's just like figuring out which flavor you like, essentially. Right. Uh, Me personally, I love the law of three. That's the one that's always resonated most for me and uh, for for all my clients. It's the one that I give in talks a lot because it's super, super powerful. Like, how can we get literally 300% of the results from 30% of the actions? Like, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, so then you could start to deploy a practice like that. So that's what I would say in that order. Start with clarity. Always start with clarity. Always. Then we can generate the energy. And then finally, we can maximize the calendar via productivity. Yeah, there it is. That's, that's, that's the maximize right there in the nutshell. I, I think in the, uh, in the energy realm, I find um, historically there's some folks that are, let's use the phrase, real morning people like myself. Like I, I, I'm up without no alarm. Three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, just probably from the years of being in the military. My dad was military. So it's just natural for me. And I get up in the morning and I'm up and even on my weekends, you know, you know, when do you really not work anyway, especially when you're an entrepreneur, but there are those that I've met. They're like, dude, I I could never do that. I'm I'm like eight, nine o'clock. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, my day's half over by then. Right. Do you find there are folks that are really literally, better served to maximize their energy later in the day than, uh, you know, than an early morning. I don't know about night owls or what have you, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great question because at the end of the day, we got to do whatever works for us. Right. Right. Like I don't believe in cookie cutter, like one size fits all solutions. True. You know, I'm jealous of you, man. Cause I was the kid growing up, like I have a pretty big family and I was the cousin that like everyone would be like throwing shoes at and stuff to wake up. So they can go to the beach or whatever. Get out, um, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But now like my family la- like is just confused because I'm the one that's up early, like working, you know, and that was just a decision. Yeah. You know, it really was. And, but again, it's like, I make those decisions for me. Like what I use those hours for is very, very strategic. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, 
I want to use those for the hours, those hours for the stuff that I want to get done uninterrupted. Like I want to pour into myself Absolutely. on that same token though, Tracy, like if that doesn't work for us, we need to be like aware of that and, mm -hmm. and figure out however, like whatever we need to do to make it work for us. One, like if that means go up and go for a run so that you're firing all cylinders and then you can get your work done, maybe do that. Yeah. But if it, if we can't figure out how to make that work, then cool. Fill that time with something else. Yeah. Shift your calendar. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, absolutely. We, we got to figure out what works for us. Uh, I got you there. I'm with you. All right. So and now there was something you dropped in there kind of in passing the mm -hmm. pit bull rescue foundation. Is that something yeah. you're still got a, got a mission for? Yeah, man. I love dogs. I, I have my dog Shaq gave uh, rescued him and adopted him in my senior year of college, technically the end of my junior year. Mm -hmm. um, my girlfriend and I are, rest are fostering a dog right now. Um, so like there's, there's so much that we, I think that's why her and I get along so well. She runs a dog training business. Nice. Um, so we're very well aligned on that, but yeah, man, it's, it's something that I've always loved. Like I was a weird kid, man, like Pitbull, uh, Pitbulls and Parolis on Animal Planet. It was like one of my favorite shows <laughs> growing up. And I remember like, that show. Yeah. It was just a cool, weird show. It always played on weird times. Yeah. So like maybe that just like fed into the inner, like weird entrepreneur in me that was just like at home watching like TV to unwind at like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday instead of being at the bars. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's always been a really important piece for me and uh, I'm sure, I don't know if it will necessarily show up as that, as a, as a rescue foundation or who knows, but you know, it's, it's always going to be a big piece for us. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I, I love dogs. I, I was just telling my wife the other day as I was sitting with our, we have a great Pyrenees and, and a golden and our great Pyrenees mm. is a rescue. And uh, we rescued her. She was down in Tennessee when we picked her out and we were still up in Wisconsin. So we had yeah. to wait for her through this volunteer van uh you know, network that they have built to get uh, the dogs to different parts of the United States. And we went and picked her up. But I was like, I love rescue dogs. There's so many amazing yeah. dogs out there that uh, you need our love. So when you, when you threw that one out there, I was like, okay, I got to ask about this. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree. Like when I went to college, that was my dream is like, as soon as I moved off campus and I could get a dog, I was going to adopt a pit bull. And the only reason that my dog isn't a pit bull is because like, I lived in a house with seven other guys and they were like, I think a chocolate lab mix will get more girls than a pit bull mix, <laughs> um, which I, I still don't necessarily agree with, but uh, my dog is awesome. I, nice. I love that guy. So right on. Out. Right on. So here, I'm going to ask probably what, what I'm going to call my one canned question. So given we're okay. called the uh, dark horse entrepreneur and dark horse is someone mm -hmm. that, you know, and I explained to you, Laura, I do believe that, uh, you know, someone that personally feels they can win the race, but a lot of the folks around them do not. You ever felt like a dark horse any time in your life? Yeah, probably it, most of it. Probably most of it. How, how, I guess, so, yeah. so here's the real question now that we understand that. How did you fight against that grain and, and, and break out to, you know, see the success you've seen and obviously even the success you saw before? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I would say in some areas, I probably like a lot of the people in my world probably thought I would win, but there mm -hmm. were some that, some that didn't. And 
or at least some that I didn't think other people thought that. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like I was always the, the, the example that's popping up to me is athletics. Athletics played a big role for me. And like, I was always, for whatever reason, I, I felt that I was overlooked for certain things, mm-hmm. whether it was playing time in college or um, cause I was a goalkeeper in soccer. Right. So it wasn't like, you're not getting 15 minutes a game. Right. It's like one or zero. Got it. So whether it was like playing time in college or like getting the captain's armband in, in high school or whatever it may be, I felt like I was overlooked in some of those areas and mm. what, and I'm sure there are examples in my career as well. Actually. Yeah. Most of the business I start, I feel like any, any entrepreneur, it, feels that way it's like it's like oh you're doing what like oh is that one of those things like that's a cute little side hustle Um, you're a coach what (laughs) yeah yeah and um so i don't know i feel like i have the most clarity around the soccer examples because what worked really well for me is figuring out what would drive me Mm -hmm. right i remember my junior year of college i was like man like i don't know that i want to play anymore right like i I don't know that I, I want to keep putting in all this time and energy, especially because as I was getting into my junior year, studying engineering at my school, you could only go abroad. If I wanted to study a term abroad, there was only one option and it was to go to Prague, but it was during soccer season. So I had this, I was at this crossroads where I was like, man, am I really going to, am I really going to forego that opportunity to study in Europe to sit on a bench? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, is that, why would I do that? And right. it was like, I had to really, really go deep and think about this stuff. And what I realized is that like, I loved the guys that I was playing with so much that like my, they were like brothers, you know, and, and I just focused on that that year. And I ended up playing the best soccer of my life at a time where like, it d- didn't really make sense. Right. I was like living in my fraternity house, like, <laughs> studying a little bit, partying a lot, playing a lot of soccer and uh, somehow coming out playing the best soccer of my entire life. You know, so to zoom back in on the question, what that means to me is I figured out like what, what was driving me, right? Cause I realized like I wasn't, I wasn't training for me at that point. Right. I didn't care at that point. I was checked out. Like I genuinely, I was like over it. I was just not, not going through the motions cause I was playing all out, but I was playing all out for everybody on that team. Ah, okay. Like that was what was important to me then. And, uh, it just happened to result in me playing the best ball in my life. Nice. So I think that that's pretty relevant. Like it doesn't matter what that is that we're, that is driving us Mm -hmm. for me. That's what it was, but it might not like call it your why, if we want to get like, go into the cliche, like side of things, but it's cliche because it's like, there's a lot of truth to it. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always figuring out like what's driving it and tapping into that and, letting that drive the decisions. Right. And, and that's tended to work out. I don't know if that even answered the question. I kind of just went on. I think so. I think so. I mean, there's, it's a lot of personal uh, behind that. It's like, uh, you know, it's all about you. And if you believe in yourself, it's almost like screw the rest of the folks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the only person you have to answer to is yourself. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, uh, one last thing, I don't want to hang you out here too long, but you mentioned the, uh, you, that folks were coming to you uh, about, hey, you should do some coaching, but there was this, yeah. you still had that stigma. What finally helped you turn that corner and 
uh, dump that stigma around coaching others. Yeah, I met Brandon Burchard and I were, heard the words high performance, <laughs> you know, like um, for me to give context to that the stigma for me was like back then Instagram was big. It wasn't as big as it is now, but it was really big. And I didn't, I came from the athletic world, right? Coaches had the answers. Mm. That might be the case in like what people are calling themselves business coaches. I call that mainly consulting. Sure. If you're providing the solution, I would consider it consulting. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what I would call like professional coaching though. Okay. Right. And what I mean by that is, so I saw a lot of like 17 year olds on Instagram with a life coach and in their Instagram bio. And I'm like, what logic does this have? Like what? Because again, I thought they had to have the solutions. I'm like, what life experience do these dudes have? Right. But I didn't realize that that's not your job as a coach, right? Like when I'm providing solutions to my clients, it's because we're in more of a consulting role, coaching and consulting company. But when I'm truly coaching, I'm not offering solutions. And if I am, I'm not doing a great job. (laughs) Because my job as a coach isn't to provide a solution. It's to help navigate conversation, to ask powerful questions, and to really help facilitate breakthrough, best in service of my client. You know, and I didn't understand that back then. But it took me meeting Brendan at an event down in Ohio and hearing the words high performance, hearing him speak at that event and connecting with him afterwards and um, getting to ask him some questions, feeling his energy and, you know, high performance was, it was the lens that I was looking at everything through. Again, it was that intensity. I could just relate to it. I could resonate with it. And Mm. I literally, I wrote my first, the curriculum, my first program on the flight home from that event. Nice. Ohio to New York. It's like an hour and a half flight. So you can imagine how much I was keyboard thrashing. Yeah. You're thrashing uh, it, right? Yeah. But, but that was it. That was the stigma. And it was just, you know, finding, I think in life we're, we're really just waiting for permission in many cases. Right. And it's whether are we going to give ourselves the permission or are we going to have to wait for something else externally? Yeah. And uh, for me, I needed to wait externally and uh, it probably helped me back from impact for a couple of years, but sure. Hey, we are where we are. I'm grateful for it. And uh, we're crushing. So yeah, you were lucky enough to, uh, to find it. I mean, so many folks are yeah. still probably wandering through the, uh, the river of life right now. Um, I, I want to be mindful of your time. This has been kind of cool. Just, just hanging out and, and jamming like this. But um, if folks want to learn more about high performance, maybe we got some door knockers out there that are going, Oh, I need to learn more about Mike and the results engine. Where should we send them? Yeah. The best place is the podcast. You know, it's where we're putting out the most content. I don't know when this is going out. We're recording it mid January. We're actually taking the month of January off for uploads, but we're still recording. So starting February, we're going to be firing them off. Um, But yeah, we're like 150 or so uploads in and um, it's been a freaking awesome journey. We had you on the show that I'm literally, I was getting DMS the other day about how awesome that episode was. So thank thank you you. again for joining me. That was my Um, pleasure. But yeah, that's the best place for content. And then if anyone has questions or they want to dive in or challenge anything we talked about, get more clarity on it, just slide in my DMS on Instagram. I answer all of them and I'm happy to help however I can. Absolutely. We'll be sure to get those links in the show notes. Mike, I definitely appreciate your time and coming to hang out with us here. Much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. Appreciate it. Enjoy Absolutely. It. All right, my dark horse friends and family, there's Mike dropping some high performance value bombs on us. All right. So here's some thoughts I came away with. Thought number one, is your ladder to success 
leaning against the right wall. I mean, Mike shared how early on in his career, he had all the trappings that we would all dream of, right? He had the car and he had the big bank account and he had the apartment in the good part of Manhattan, but he admitted to having zero clue of what it really meant to be productive. Now, if he wasn't working, he felt guilty that he wasn't working. And this began to manifest itself in physical ailments, right? In constraints. So as a result of this climb to the top, he come to realize is his ladder of success was kind of leaning up against the wrong wall. He had to, he not had to, he come to, he came to realize that if he could show up more powerfully when he was working, he could have possibly avoided all of those physical issues he encountered when he reached the top. Thought number two, stigmas, beliefs, and standards serve you until they don't. Mike calls out in a couple of different ways that the stigmas and beliefs and standards served him until they didn't. His high standards and beliefs, yeah, they drove him forward, right? They helped him in his quick rise to the top. But once there, it was those very same beliefs and standards that drove him to the guilt when he wasn't working. His stigma about coaching kept him from stepping into that role sooner. Since reviewing and shedding those stigmas, beliefs, and standards that were not serving him, he has built an amazing business helping others be high performers via training to keep his clients generating energy, boosting productivity, and smashing through preconceived limitations. Now, for me, this comes back around to some of the coaching I give uh, those in my sphere of influence and have shared on here many times. You have to periodically check in with yourself. Weekly, right, you should be checking in the past week's wins, losses, and draws. Monthly, you want to review where you are toward your goals overall and kind of re-reviewing those weekly check-ins. Are there patterns developing, right? Quarterly, you want to re-review the monthly check-ins. Are those patterns continuing? Good patterns, bad patterns, questionable patterns. What actions do you need to take to offset any limiting patterns and build upon those that are working in your favor in all aspects. And of course, those that many of us do anyway, those yearly challenge, those yearly check-ins so that you make sure your ladder is still leaning on the wall of success that you want to climb. If it's not, stop right there where you're at, slide down, step down, get off that ladder and move it to the right wall. Yeah, you might lose a few steps and a little time along the way, but get me on this, trust me on this, right? It's far easier to climb down and move the ladder and to be at the, than to be at the top and try to jump from one wall to the other. Because if you miss, splat, right? Not a good idea. Thought number three, what is high performance? Now, Mike shared a great definition of high performance, but what clicked with me here was it wasn't about just reaching for more, but rather it was about reaching for more while still maintaining but a positive well-being and positive relationships. Boom. Mic drop, right? We could just end this episode right here if we want to, but we're not going to. You see, it's all well and good to grab a hold of that brass ring and ride that puppy all the way to the bank. But if you sacrifice your health or your relationship with your spouse or with your children, is it really worth it? Now I get it. Some will say yes, right? Once I get there, then I can rebuild the relationship. Yeah, that, not, not, yeah. I, I'm not a part of that some. 
And since you're still listening to this podcast at this point, I'm going to make the same assumption about you, my friend, that you're not a part of that sum either. In my goal-setting coaching, I work with a series of questions I have coined the milieu check, right? These are questions that cause you to pause and ask yourself things like, is this really my goal? Can I see myself reaching this goal, etc.? There are like 12 questions, but let's start with it. Let's start with this one. Is this really my goal? If it's not your goal, trust me, at the end of your journey, you may be richer financially, but you'll likely pay the price in health, your physical health, your mental health, or the health of your relationships. You'll give up your health, you know, physically or mentally, because you'll be internally battling with yourself about why you're traveling the damn path that you're traveling. And very often this toxic internal battle will leak out into your relationships and spoil them directly or indirectly. That's why it needs to be the very first question you address and you're going to have to address it honestly. I think what I'll probably do in the follow-up uh, episodes this week is share the uh, the remaining uh, 10 questions. I shared the first two here and then we can discuss them a, a little bit deeper. Uh, finally, thought number four, the five anchoring pillars for high performance. Now, Mike shared his five anchoring pillars for high performance, starting with that cornerstone habit of clarity. And you've heard me mention this one time and time again. It's the first C in the six C's of entrepreneurship that I mentioned way back in episode 20. For we all know that if we're not clear on our destination, odds are we'll just kind of wander around aimlessly, wasting our time and resources, including money, getting nowhere fast. Then there's energy and courage, productivity, and influence wraps up the remaining five pillars of high performance. Now, pause for a moment and ask yourself, are you firing on all eight cylinders when it comes to these five gears in your race towards your goal. You see, if you slip or skip any one of these gears, you're going to get bogged down, even black flagged, as your life's RPMs will groan slowly while you struggle to try and get yourself back to the pace that you were at before your foot slipped or jumped off that clutch. However, if you slide into and through each of these consistently, you'll not, a, not only jump off the line, but you can burn rubber through each of these gears, tearing up the asphalt and break out of the pack to the clear air where things are far more smooth sailing. <laughs> All right, I get it. Enough car analogies, Tracy. <laughs> and there were so many other things that Mike shared. So please, here's the question. What inspiring tips or thoughts resonated with you? All right, whatever they were, Take some time today, write them down, and put them into action. Get out there, run your race, get your results, and come let me hear about them. Seriously, you can email me at tracy at darkhorseschooling.com and share the tips or ideas that you came away with, how you put them into action, and what results you gain from them, right? Heck, probably even bring you on the show and let you share your wins with the audience. I want to celebrate with you. Or, hey, come on into the Facebook group and share with us there, all right? Now, next week's interview episode guest will be John Morley, who started his first company just about 30 years ago, and he's a passionate serial entrepreneur. He didn't stop there. He's got so many gems to share with us. Now, I know you want to keep getting all these valuable tips and inspirational stories from this podcast and the guests I'm lucky enough to bring on. So go on down there, hit that subscribe button while you're there. Yeah. 
please drop us a five-star rating, leave us some kind words in the reviews, and please don't keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Share the podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners you know will get value from it. With that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.